2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 5. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. I'm going to stop there. Macedonia is in the northeast part of Greece where the uh, city of Philippi was. And what we know from scripture, he's, he, he's at least speaking of the church of, Phil, of Philippi and probably other churches too, but, but definitely the church of Philippi. So we wish to make known to you the grace which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they, gave, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. As Paul there is talking about the generosity of the church of Philippi, there's a couple phrases that pop out. How their deep poverty overflowed in their wealth of their, lib, of their liberality. How they gave beyond their own ability. They gave of their own accord. How they begged us with much urging. We see a heart there that was overflowing in giving. And we have to ask the question, what was going on in the hearts of the Philippians, of these Macedonian saints? What made them so free to give? It wasn't that they had a surplus. They were giving out of the, their poverty. It reminds me of Luke 21, verses 1 through 4, and the widow with the two pennies, where it says, and it says in the book of Luke, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins. Both of these would be an eighth of a penny. And he said, truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them, for they all out of their surplus put into the offering, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. Perhaps you're wondering why. No one made this woman give all she had to live on. No one would have criticized the woman for saving half of that, for giving one small copper coin and then keeping one for herself. That would still be generous. No one made the Philippians give out of their deep poverty. What is going on in the heart of God's people that leads to such generosity? Now, it's been a while since we've been in the book of Philippians. I'm going to review a little bit the context. The Apostle Paul was writing to a church that he had planted about 10 years previously. Paul is currently writing from prison in Rome, where he's awaiting trial before Nero for his proclaiming of Christ. The letter was prompted by several factors. It was a church that was really, and, and as you read, this church is a church that's doing well. It's really a remarkable church. Lots of good things could be said about this church, even as we are this morning. But it was a church that had begun to struggle. It was facing uh, uh, disunity within. It was facing persecution from without. It was a church that needed really to continue as they had a great track record of, of being a humble church, a rejoicing church, a unified church, a church that had so far been active in advancing the gospel. It was a church that was eager to hear how Paul was doing. They knew that Paul was really sitting on death row. The sentence hadn't been given yet, but Nero could at any time choose to execute Paul. But also there was this uh, prompt for the book, that they had sent a generous gift to Paul from one of their own, uh, who, who, who we've read about, named, named Epa, 
Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus had brought a gift to Paul, made the long journey uh, between eight to 1,200 miles, depending on which route he would take, had brought this money to Paul, and now it's time for Paul to send a thank you note back. And so that's one of the uh, prompts of this book. Paul was also concerned, though, that even as he said thank you, that they not think in any way that he is asking for more. And that's going to come out as, as we read this passage. He doesn't want to be misconstrued in any way. and saying, guys, that was great. Could you do it again? And so we looked at last time from Philippians 4. We focused on verses 11 through 13, which is kind of in this middle of the whole passage we're looking at. How Paul talked about how God had taught, had taught him contentment in his circumstances. How that was a place in difficult circumstances to see the power of Christ. But this time we're going to focus not on Paul's contentment, but on the generosity that the Philippians had. So I'm going to read Philippians 4, 10 through 20, and then we'll pray. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I've received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you um, for this testimony of the generosity in the Philippians' heart. I thank you for the evidence uh, here of what you had done in them, and I thank you even for my dear brothers and sisters uh, here that I see much of that same evidence in their lives. Father, we pray that we would come to your word with a humility and a teachability. We pray, Father, that you would do whatever is needed with it, Lord, that if we need to be encouraged, we'd be encouraged If it's exhorted, exhorted. If it's admonished, admonished. We pray, Father, that your word would be active in each of our hearts as we look at this picture of the Philippians, how Paul encourages them, Lord, that we also uh, would be encouraged to the extent that we see you doing the same work in our hearts. Lord, this is really about your worship, about your pleasure, about the glory of your Son. So we do pray, Father, that this morning you'd be glorified through your word being explained. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we're going to look at six truths about a generous heart from Philippians 4, 10 through 18, so that your heart will overflow in sacrificial generosity. We're going to see six truths about a generous heart from Philippians 4, 10 through 18, so that your heart will overflow in sacrificial generosity. Now, before we start, we have to say, there is much more that Scripture says about generosity and giving than what Paul says here. In fact, Paul says much more than, than he does here in other passages. 
He wasn't being exhaustive. He's writing to encourage them. He's writing them to encourage what their generosity revealed about the health of their hearts. Now, I don't know how each of you should respond to this. Some of you should be encouraged. So when I ask you a question, like, is this what's going on in your heart? Don't, don't be afraid to say, yes, it is by God's grace. Some of you should be encouraged by what the Lord's doing in your heart. Maybe some of you should repent. And maybe some of you, as I felt going through this passage, will have a, some of both of those. Both being encouraged by God's grace seen, but also repenting of areas in which I need to grow. So I don't have a Santa Claus naughty and nice list. I have no idea what the generosity is in your hearts. I don't have a, oh, they're on the naughty list, they're on the nice list. I don't know what anyone gives or any of that. This is just about how Paul encourages the, the Philippians. And by God's grace, the majority of us are going to be encouraged, although I'm perfectly willing if he uses this to bring about our confession and repentance. Generosity, it's important too, is not only about money, right? That there are people who have no money to give or who've already given their two copper pennies who can still fight to be generous with their time or with their home or with their family. And so there are other things that we can be sacrificially generous with, even if you have no money. But we do want to talk about all of those things. So money is not the, the only application here. So let's look at the first truth, and it really starts very simply in the beginning of verse 10, where Paul says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly. And the first truth is that gen- generosity is evidence of your union with Christ. Generosity is evidence of your union with Christ. Paul says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly. Now, Paul doesn't simply say, I rejoice greatly. And it's difficult to even imagine Paul saying that. Because that would give the idea that he's rejoicing in the money that was given. No, but he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. He clarifies what the content of his joy is. Paul rejoices in the Lord because the Lord is the source of the Philippians' generosity. Generosity is part of our being transformed into Christ-likeness. Listen to how... Paul, in 2 Corinthians 8, verses, verse 9, describes the Lord Jesus Christ. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might, became, might become rich. We know how the Lord Jesus Christ gave up everything. We read about the Philippians 2, 6 through 11, how he though existing in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. There is no one in all of human history that is more generous than Jesus. So as we have generosity, we are really becoming like him. It's the overflow of our union with Christ. It was Jesus who said, and Paul quotes in Acts 20, verse 35, that it is more blessed to give than to receive. When we are generous, it is a testimony of who we are like and who we belong to. Matthew 25, verses 34 to 40, describes Jesus returning and separating 
those on his right from on the left. And what is that separation? He says, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Well, who are those? For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? We've never seen you like that, Jesus. The king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. It's very interesting to think of what the uh, Philippian church had done for the apostle Paul. They went through extreme lengths through their deep poverty to minister to Paul in this way. As Paul was in prison, as he, and we don't know if he was hungry, we don't know how much clothes that he had, but he was sitting there in Rome, needy. The, apostles, the Philippians demonstrated that they belonged to Christ, that they had Christ living in them through this through their generosity, through the generosity, they testified that Christ was their king. Is that what your generosity testifies about you? Does your generosity testify that Christ is your king? That your faith in him, that you're trusting in him for your life, that you being unified with him is being demonstrated by becoming like him? Are you living out Christ's generosity in your life? It is not our own generosity, right? It is from our being united with him. Is his generosity living in you? Have you become like him? When others see your generosity, who do they rejoice in? Do they rejoice in the Lord? And that's an incredible thing, right? When they see your generosity and say, they are like Jesus Christ. So that is what Paul is, he rejoices in the Lord. It's the Lord's work in their heart. It is the overflow of their union in Christ. Generosity is evidence of your union with Christ. The second truth here, generosity is evidence of your concern for the saints. We see that in verse 10 as well. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, go to the second part of the verse there, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. And I mentioned this last time, uh, that at last is just a, a, a little awkward t- translating from Greek to English. It sounds like he's rebuking them, like, finally, guys, I'm like sitting in prison. I needed help at last. It, it is, it, it's just very tough to capture in English well. It is not what it means. There's, there's no rebuke implied here. We don't know why the Philippians hadn't been able to give in such a long time. Perhaps in the ancient world, they just had lost Paul. Right? He didn't have tracking on his phone, you know, that app where you can always know where Paul is. They didn't have that. Maybe there was no messenger available to make that long journey to Paul, that 40-some-day journey of 20 miles a day, minimum. Perhaps they couldn't gather enough money together in their poverty to even make that journey worthwhile. Can you imagine supporting someone through that long journey and getting there and like, well... I just barely got here. I don't have anything. i got to go back now and get more gift. We, we, we don't know what. And it could have been Paul, too, had asked them, please don't give any more because people are getting the wrong impression that my preaching is for profit. 
this word revive here is a, a, a beautiful word, and it means to bloom again. It's like a plant which blooms again after being dormant for a prolonged period of time. The Philippians' concern for Paul had blossomed. Now, this word for concern is really one of the key verbs in the book of, of Philippians. It's translated as attitude, as mindset. It has that idea of outlook, as thinking. It's a book all about what we're thinking and, and, and what our minds are dominated by. The Philippians' concern, their thinking, for Paul had blossomed again. And it had blossomed into generosity. There's nothing sweeter than when I come home and my daughter, Nora, who loves drawing, she is like sketching just nonstop. Uh, and maybe sketching is too kind of a word for a five-year-old, but I see something sweet there. Anyways, anyways but when, when I come home and she brings me a picture that she drew while I was away. Now, Melissa's not at home saying, you should draw your dad another picture. For some reason, I was on her mind. No one was prompting her to, to, do, to do this. She's not doing this because she wants to get something from me. Her generosity is the overflow of her attention and of her affection. She was concerned for me. Her mind was on me. This past year, we received a note with a gift card. We don't know who from. It, it was a sweet little note. The generosity communicated that someone somewhere was concerned for us, that they were thinking of us. We were on their heart. Who is on your mind? Who is in your attention? Who are you concerned about? See, your generosity will demonstrate who's in your thinking. It will reveal who's in your heart. And maybe it's not someone who needs money, but maybe it's someone who needs encouragement. Maybe someone who needs friendship. Maybe someone who needs to sit down over a cup of coffee. It can be displayed, this kind of generosity, by your taking time to write cards and send letters. By helping someone move, by visiting someone in the hospital who's just had a baby. Inviting someone to dinner. We as a church, uh, via team, requested that you write cards to Joshua and Julie Lee. The church really sent many different things to the Elise, and we had this, this sweet time where they're opening up the suitcases. But when she has that stack of letters in her hand, when she, when she sees all these cards, she starts crying. Why? Because you were on her mind. You were concerned about her. I think we could say a quick plug here for our missionaries. Don't let that stop, right? They were on Paul's mind. Our missionaries should be on our mind. Generosity is evidence of your union with Christ. It's evidence of your concern for the saints. It's also evidence of your gospel partnership. Generosity is evidence of your gospel partnership. We see that in, uh, and we're going to jump down now to verse 14, because verses 11 through 13 is uh, really Paul making very clear, I am not asking for more money. And we're going to see that again. He is not asking for more money. I'm here about talking about generosity. I'm totally asking for you to write the Lees more cards. But I'm not asking for more money. It's not why, it's not why I'm here. Okay, so he says, I've learned to be content in all things. But verse 14, it goes, 
Nevertheless, you've done well to share with me in my affliction. You've done well. You've done beautifully. You've done commendably. Even though Paul had learned to be content, Paul still wanted the the Philippians to be encouraged. He didn't want to say, guys, I don't need anything, so I'm going to go on to the next topic. He's like, you've done admirably by being generous. In verse 14, he says, uh, nevertheless, you've done well to share with me. And that word share, it is to participate with, to be a partner with. And partnering with Paul was the Philippians' pattern of doing ministry. In Philippians 1, verse 5, I know we have to go back nearly a year to to, to, to chapter 1, verse 5. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, Paul says. Your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. The word participation has the same root as this share with me in chapter 4, verse 14. This participating, this partnering, this sharing together. As soon as they were saved, the Philippians partnered with Paul in his ministry. Now, perhaps that included going out and sharing the gospel with him. As he preached, being ready to have gospel conversations with people. But it also included their resources. And we actually see this in the book of Acts on the very first day. So Paul is is outside by the uh, river, there, there, there weren't enough Jews in the city to have a synagogue there. So he's preaching the gospel where the Jews are, are, are gathered outside by the river. And listen what happens in Acts 16 after Lydia gets saved. It says that, it says that the Lord opened up Lydia's heart. Then in verse 15, when Lydia and, and her household had been baptized, she urged us, because Luke was with them, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So from the very first day, she gets saved, and what does she start doing? She's like, I want to be your partner in gospel ministry. From the very first day, you've got to stay at my house now. In uh, Philippians 4, verse 15, Paul describes more of what this gospel partnership looks like. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching the gospel... And then he jumps forward in, in time a little bit. After I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but, but you alone. At the first preaching of, of the gospel, as soon as they were saved, the church in Philippi partnered in, in Paul's ministry. Now, Acts 18 describes what happens here. Paul was uh, Paul left from Macedonia, in, well, I'll do over here, in northern Greece, to go to Achaia in southern Greece. He went from where the city of Philippi and Thessalonica was to southern Greece where Corinth was. Acts 18 tells what happens when Silas and Timothy come from northern Greece where Philippi was to southern Greece where Paul was. And Acts 18 verse 5 describes, When Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, where Philippi was, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. He was able to devote himself completely to the word and stop tent making, as, as we learned he was doing in, in 18 verse 3, because of the gift that Silas and Timothy brought from Philippi to Macedonia. Here they are newly saved, and they are already supporting Paul as a missionary. They are partnering with him out of their deep poverty. 
Now, Paul writer, later writes to, to, to Corinth about the generosity of the Macedonian churches. 2 Corinthians 11.9, it says, For when the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need, and in everything I kept myself from being a burden to you. Paul was enabled by the Philippians to do full-time ministry in Corinth. That's what verse 15 is talking about. Verse 16 says, For, for even in the... In Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. So Thessalonica was where Paul went after leaving Philippi. So he says, not only did you support me when I went on kind of like the next leg of my missionary journey, you supported me when I went to the next town. So you didn't even wait till I went on a, a, a grand kind of like big missionary journey. I was in the next time over, and you supplied my needs more than once. More than once. So it was about a three-day journey to that next city, and they kept supplying Paul. Now, we could ask, why? What was going on? Why were they partakers in ministry with Paul? See, the Philippians valued partnership. They wanted to have a part in what God was accomplishing through Paul. They were the dividends of Paul's ministry. And now they wanted to invest in him doing more ministry. Now, it says in verse 14, if we go back up, Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You have done well to partner with me, but not just partner with me. To partner with me in my affliction. The Philippians aligned themselves with their pastor when others had abandoned him. Remember at this point, people in Rome are out there preaching the gospel to stir up heartache for Paul. As if there was something wrong with Paul's ministry, perhaps because he was in prison. Many churches at this point would have questioned their support of Paul. Is God behind this ministry? Look, he's sitting there in prison. Is his ministry really effective? Maybe he's doing ministry the wrong way. Shouldn't there be some more fruit to his ministry? But instead, the Philippians partnered with Paul in his affliction, in his suffering, in his trouble, in his imprisonment. When the sun of God's favor on Paul's ministry appeared to be setting. When it's kind of time to say, you know, I think it's time to find a new missionary maybe. It's not what the Philippians did. They bought more stock in Paul. They were partners in the gospel. With whom are you gospel partners? With whom are you gospel partners? Are you gospel partners with those in your care group? Are you partnering with them, using the resources God has given you, whether your time, whether your money, whether your home, to come alongside them in the gospel ministry that they're doing? And even in your prayers, are you generously praying for them as they are reaching out to coworkers and to family members? Do you see yourself as arm in arm with them doing gospel ministry? How is your individual gospel partnership with Joshua and Julie Lee, with Marcus and Amy, Denny, with Gina? How is your gospel partnership? And I don't mean are you as an individual giving them money, although that's fine. But are you invested? When God gives out rewards for the work in Kladno or in Potlingjaya, will you be a recipient because of your partnership? Will you 
get a reward as well because you are partnering with them. Now, we've seen that the Philippians were concerned for Paul. We've seen their partnership with Paul. But why had the Philippians partnered with Paul? So what was going on? What motivated this partnership? What motivated this concern? And leads us to our fourth truth. Generosity is the evidence of your appreciation for your salvation. So it's evidence of your union with Christ, of your concern for their saints, of your gospel partnership, but it's also evidence of your appreciation of your salvation. And we're going to go back to verse 15 to see this. Paul says in the second half of verse 15, No church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. Which is kind of an a, a, a interesting phrase there. No church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. And Paul uses fi, fi, financial term, ter, terminology here. Excuse me. The word translated matter could also be translated as account. And really, we probably should. It is how it's translated in verse 17. So, no church partnered with me or shared with me in the matter of giving and in the account of giving and receiving, but you alone. But what is he talking about? This, this account of giving and receiving. Well, Paul's picturing two columns here giving and receiving, expenditures and receipts, credit and debt. Now, Paul's not saying that the Philippians owed him, and the Philippians weren't trying to pay, pay back Paul. See, the Philippians, though, had been humbled by the salvation that they've received. They were still shocked by it. They were still awe of God's grace, knowing what God had given to them. Knowing what they had received from the Lord led them to be deeply appreciative. I received a scholarship during my, my undergrad. Uh, about every couple months, the school appeals to me a few times a year to be generous. You know, to give back to the foundation that gave me that scholarship. The reasoning is that if someone appreciated what they would be given, wouldn't they generously give back? Well, that's exactly what the Philippians do here. But Paul doesn't need to make an appeal to them. He's not sending a letter. He's not saying, will you guys please partner with me like I partnered with you? You guys have been given so much, won't you give to me? This is just the overflow of what their heart is doing. Upon salvation, the Philippians were shocked to find this gift box waiting in their room. And for those of us who, who went on the Southeast Asia trip here, we're going to serve them. We open, we get into the rooms, and there's all the stuff, all these treats and coffees, all this stuff. We were like, well, come on, right? We, we were blessed by that. When the Philippians were saved, they're like, whoa, this is what salvation entails? They open up the spiritual cupboards and they find food falling out. They logged into their spiritual bank accounts and they found not cards maxed out with debt, not maxed out with a debt of sin, not, not and I'm using analogy here, but a sum in their savings column with so many zeros, like they don't know what the word is, right? You know, like what's after trillion or zillion or whatever those words are, you know? They, 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 they were so blown away by God's grace to them that their hearts overflowed in generosity, not because they were trying to repay. They looked at the sum of spiritual blessings, and they're like, I can't give that back. And of course, we can't earn that. That's what God's grace is. And God's grace is available to you in Jesus Christ. If you know the debt of your sin. 
If you feel the weight that you have lived independently from God, that you've spent your life not living as his creature, not living in submission to him, if you know that you are going to be judged for your sins, there is rescue in Jesus Christ. You can run to him. You can go from an eternity of debt for your sin to an eternity of blessing in Jesus Christ. For all who believe, to put their hope only in Jesus Christ. The Philippians' account went from hopelessly in debt to infinitely rich. And there's so many passages we could use. But uh, Ephesians 1, 3 through 8 is a great start. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. That is what we're talking about here. You know, that is what their, their, their spiritual cupboard was full of. That's what their spiritual bank accounts were filled of. There was so much blessing there. So what's the natural response is generosity. Has God's generosity toward you overflowed in your generosity to others? And again, this is not to be a condemning question. You can answer this and say, by God's grace it has. Praise the Lord. You also can say, it has but I'm not really generous in this way. I'm, not, I'm generous with money, but not with time, or vice versa. There's, there, your, your, your responses could be all over the board. Maybe you're like, I don't even know this generosity. I, I, I vaguely affirm that Christ died for me, but it hasn't gripped my heart yet. Maybe you don't know him. What is in your spiritual account? Do you have the righteousness of Christ? Do you have adoption as sons? Do you have the sealing of the Spirit? Do you have the fruit of the Spirit overwhelming in your life? Do you have this forgiveness of sins and the redemption of your soul? If you appreciate what you've received, the overflow will be generosity. When, when, when you recognize the extent of God's grace to you, is your wallet open? Is your home open? Is your schedule open? Remember, Paul's encouraging them. This is what they've done. They have participated in this account of giving and receiving. Not trying to earn, but overflowing. Like, I've received, so I've got to give. So we see that generosity is evidence of our union with Christ, our concern for the saints, our gospel partnership, our appreciation for our salvation. It's also evidence of your spiritual health. It's evidence of our spiritual health, and, and I think that that's pretty clear here. But this is where Paul goes in Philippians 4, verse 17. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. And there is more of that financial language here. He makes clear, this is not about wanting your money. Don't send me any more. I'm not seeking it. And, and, and in fact, he says, I am, but I've received everything in verse 18. In full and have an abundance, I'm amply supplied. Okay, guys, enough is enough. 
It's not about me, but I am seeking something for you. It's not seeking from you, but for you. I'm not seeking your money, but seeking something in your life. And what is he seeking in their life? The fruit, the profit, which increases to a your account. And that is the same word there. It's, it's translated multiple ways in scripture, whether it's profit or fruit. An alive plant should and will bear fruit. A savings account should, hypothetically, gain interest. And if you have a savings account, you know what I'm talking about. A healthy plant, a healthy savings account is demonstrated by profit. Paul didn't want their money. He was seeking their productivity. Not for his reward, but for their reward. Profit to their account. God has well stocked your account. He's given you all these spiritual blessings. It should be bearing fruit now. So that's what he's seeking. Even as he's saying, don't, don't give me any more. Don't let this stop. Like, like what's happening is good evidence of your spiritual health. It wasn't, it wasn't about his account, but their account. For their confidence in their own conversion to increase as they saw fruit. For their joy in their own obedience to increase. For their eternal rewards to increase. For the glory that they were bringing to God the Father through his Son to increase. There's lots of reason to be increasing in giving demonstrates that we're alive that's what it does when you bring someone out for lunch or you have someone over for a meal or you give to the church support a missionary spend time praying praying for one another is a great way to be generous it takes time This is exactly what Paul had been, been, been praying for the Philippians for. In Philippians 1, verses 9 through 11. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. He's given us the righteousness, and this is the fruit that we are, are bearing out in our lives. Now, generosity is just one way that we are filled with the fruit of righteousness. But when we're closed-fisted, it's a sign of malnourishment. Whether that's with our time, our, our, our hearts, our concerns, we should be overflowing. So we ask, is profit accruing to your account? Not, are you adding so that you can be saved? But is there evidence? Is there profit? Is there fruit? Are you healthy? Let's look at this last truth here. Generosity is the evidence of your pleasure in God's pleasure. Generosity is the evidence of your pleasure in God's pleasure. Paul continues in chapter 4, verse 18. I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you've sent. And then he describes it in three ways. A fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. He continues some of that accounting metaphor in the first part of the verse. When he says, I've received everything in full, or ESV says, received full payment. He's basically, and he really is saying, paid in full. Here's my receipt. You don't owe me anything. You know, he stamps it. Guys, we, we are so far beyond even at this point. But then he switches to another metaphor, the metaphor of worship. 
a fragrant aroma. It's a frequent way in the Old Testament of describing God's pleasure in a sacrifice. The smell was a pleasing aroma, soothing aroma. He describes it as an acceptable sacrifice, acceptable to God, not because it was a perfect sacrifice offered by sinless people, but that their generosity came from a heart that was pure. It came, wasn't done from, for praise of men. It wasn't done because they were trying to earn favor with God. It wasn't done because someone was forcing them to, but out of affection for God, out of love for Him. It was an acceptable sacrifice. And he says that it was a fragrant Roman acceptable sacrifice and it was well-pleasing to God. See, that, that it was well-pleasing to God because Christ was working in their heart to make it pleasing. Us and ourselves, without Christ, we can't do anything that's pleasing to God. But in him, we, don't, we, don't, we never please him perfectly, but we can please him truly. Their, their, their offering, their, their generosity was pleasing to God. It brought God a smile, to use a metaphor. This kind of sacrificial giving is our being like Jesus Christ. Some of the same language Paul uses to describe Jesus himself. In Ephesians 5.2, he commands the Ephesians to walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. Why did he give himself up? An offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Christ was an offering. Christ was a fragrant aroma. And as we are united with Christ, as we have his life living in us, we get to participate in being pleasing to the Father. Our generosity ought to be anchored in our pleasure in the Father's pleasure. Anchored in our pleasure in the Father's pleasure. We want our Father to be pleased. And this is not about us earning our salvation. This is about us enjoying our salvation, enjoying our adoption. What can bring our Father pleasure? Our generosity. Not, not to get something from him, but because we love him. When our audience is him. When, 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 when we see that all the resources we have, every second in our day, every cent in our bank account, is given by him to be used for his pleasure. When we are devoted to his smile, we are liberated to pursue his pleasure. All of this is about making him smile. Isn't that exciting? Everything in your phone, you know, the, 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 the bank accounts you log into and the calendars that you keep and the relationships that you have, it's all about bringing offerings to him for him to smile and for him to enjoy. It's, it's, it's not twisting the Father's arm to get him to accept us. It's but because he's accepted us in Christ Jesus. That is what uh, the fount of our generosity is. We love the Father's smile. We want him to smell our offering and say, oh, their generosity is a blessing. I think this is why, and Jesus doesn't tell us why. This is, I think this is why the widow gave all of her pennies. Because her heart was full of God the Father. And this is why the Philippians gave out of deep poverty. Because their pleasure was in God's pleasure. We also saw that they were unified with Christ. They were concerned for God's people. They were partners in the gospel. They appreciated they, their, their, their salvation. They were spiritually productive, healthy. But their pleasure was in God's pleasure. 
Does your generosity testify to God's work in your heart? Maybe the most encouraging thing for you. Maybe a sign some repentance is necessary. May also be an indication that you don't know the Lord. At 2 Corinthians 8, when I started with, there's an interesting phrase we stopped by, or skipped by. It says in 2 Corinthians 8, 1, and I'll read a couple of verses again. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a greater deal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. I love how it begins there. We wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given. That is where generosity comes from. It is the grace of God being given to you. Let's pray. Uh, dear Father, we thank you um, for your word. And I thank you, Lord, for how hope-filled uh, a passage about giving and generosity is. We know that it was written for the Philippians to encourage them as a church. And I do believe by your grace, Lord, we have lots of things to be encouraged of uh, by as a church, Lord. This is a church that gives uh, in, in generous financial ways, many people serving in many different ministries. There's a lot we have to be encouraged about, but we also are, are, are individuals, Lord. And I pray, Father, that uh, you would work in our hearts through this passage here. Lord, we want to have hearts that are reflective of the Philippians' hearts. We know that there was other ways in which that they were weak. Uh, Lord, weaknesses that they had, there was disunity. Lord, but they had generous hearts. Father, we pray that our hearts would overflow with the same kind of motivation, that we would have our brothers and sisters on our hearts and minds, that we would be devoted to gospel partnership, that we would have a salvation which is productive and the growing fruit and having an increase in interest and profit. Lord, we want hearts that are appreciative of the salvation that you've given. We want hearts that are, are amazed, and we pray, Lord, that we would be at awe again of the amazing riches of grace to us in Christ Jesus. We want that to overflow in, in, in our devotion and love for one another. And Father, we want um, really to do all that we do to bring you pleasure, Lord. That pleasure doesn't come from ourselves, it comes from us being in Christ, but we do want to please you. We want to please you in the sacrifice of praise of singing. We want to please you in our offering. We want to please you in the way that we pray for the saints. We want to please you in our devotion to others' welfare. We want to please you in our partnership and gospel ministry. We want to be pleasing to you, Lord. So, Father, I do ask that you take our resources, Lord. Help us to trust you enough to be willing to give you all of them, Lord, that we would be willing even to give out of poverty. Some of us, maybe not a poverty of money, though maybe for some, some of us a poverty of, uh, feels like of time, Lord. I mean, we have such a generosity that overflows, Lord, so that you, uh, so that we'd enjoy uh, your being pleased with us as you're pleased with your son working through us. And we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.